What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Getting the Cash Flow Game with K&K. So today, um, we got a really cool story, cool guest on, husband and wife team, just like Kay and I, Mark and Tamil Kenny. For some reason, I just like that last name. It just resonates with me. It's really good. But these two are, um, their story is really cool. But just like a lot of people we do interview and a lot of people that own real estate that invest, um, look, they're looking for a change. And so Mark uh, was a business owner, um, you know, doing well like a lot of us, but he's tired of the grind. And, you know, if you're a business owner, that doesn't mean you work less. Most of the time you work more. But then, you know, you're chasing the next deal, the next dollar. And, you know, just like anything, it starts to leak into your life and your fitness and your health and your family and marriage and all that stuff, like all of us deal with. And so, you know, they made a decision a while ago, um, about 25 years ago, they started to invest in real estate a little bit. And they started buying deals and syndicating deals. And lo and behold, uh, fast forward to 2021 um, today. They've been investing in real estate 25 years. They, um, they coach people. They help train people. Um, they're honestly great people. They've invested in more than 8,000 apartment units, which is insane. Um, so I think we all learned that if anybody can do anything, you, it can be done is if you just put your mind towards it and focus on it. So really cool story. Um, like I said, is they, they basically are the doer, the heart of the think, uh, the think multifamily, and basically they just have they have a really good family foundation. They're just very family values, and I think they just approach multifamily as one way to help people with um, you know with education, another to help people with building wealth, and I think they're just also trying to create an environment where people feel comfortable to come in and be a part of something that's just more than just investing in real estate and building wealth. It's building a community and um, kind of giving back. So, you know, that's where we're at. And I think uh, you guys will really enjoy this podcast. I really enjoyed also, Kay and I really enjoy interviewing when we get to enjoy another couple that works together. Um, they work together, live together. They're always together. They're doing deals together, building a business together. And so we got to dive into that. So if you are somebody out there that's looking to work with your wife or husband or you're, we're doing it now, we did dive into a little bit of that. And hopefully there's some tips and tricks here on this podcast to help you guys out. But without further ado, guys, we're going to jump into it. Mark and Tamil. Awesome. Well, Mark and Tamil, thanks so much for coming on today. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. So you guys are married and work together and we're married and we work together. Do you get this question often? Like people are like, how do you, how do you do it? How do you guys work together? <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's I'm like, cool. that's what I do too. I just tell him what to do and he does it. You know, and yes, you know, uh, you know, for us, it took a while to kind of figure out who was doing what and could somebody overrule somebody and et cetera. And I think I originally leaned towards, yes, I would make the decisions because initially I was doing uh, most of the work originally. And then we started doing the coaching and events that's where Tamil kind of took off and was doing all the branding marketing events all the things that she's really good at and things I don't like to do and not good at either and so we made the decision that she could run anything on that side and I can't overrule her I give you opinions but that's about it I do more of the coaching and acquisitions and she can give me her opinions which she does on a regular basis and I can either, <laughs> you sound like that's a bad thing I can either <laughs> listen to, to her uh, I'll listen to her anyways, whether I, whether I make <laughs> a, a change or not is, is questionable, but uh, it took us about a year to kind of figure that out, actually. I love it. Well, it sounds like there's boundaries and communication. I think that's like the foundation to any solid relationship. So yeah, it's the same. People ask us all the time, like, how do you not kill each other? Like, I don't think me and my wife could work together. And I actually, I think, I don't know about you guys, but now we're like, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, he doesn't want me to not work with him. It's just, it works for us. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the first 20 years of our marriage was rocky. So we definitely could not have done it then. Um, it wasn't until we went through some marriage struggles and we learned how to communicate well with each other that then we could actually move forward be with becoming business partners as well. I, uh, 
we weren't trying to get into like a couple's counseling session today, it's but I just for, want to say, it's, it's, but it's good I, for people though, yeah, because no, I love you know, it. It's yeah. Good, yeah. And that's why I was going to say, cause I, we were literally just talking to other people, uh, to some people at an event we were at over the weekend. And, uh, you know, they were telling me, Oh, we're in couples counseling. And I'm like, you know, every marriage is going to go through this. So you guys are perfectly normal, especially if there are children involved, like a 100% chance there's going to be something that's going to challenge your relationship during that time. And if it only happens once, great. But most of us have been through a lot of therapy just to stay together. <laughs> yes, highly that's recommend right. it. I really do. Highly recommend it. Both people are willing to listen and change as much as possible. You can get through anything. You know what I say? Like we learned how to fight better, you know, like we're more, we fight much better now. I always laugh about it. Almost every time we even get in a little bit of a disagreement, which isn't very often, it's just kind of almost make a joke out of it and laugh about it. Well, and that's, I think that's healthy, you know, because it's like, I think that's good. So I'm excited to jump in with you guys because I think this will be a great conversation. A lot of things, the nuggets, but can you guys just, as you just guys said, how did you land here today, like right now? Can you kind of give us the quick backstory on how you guys landed today? So even before we got married, I was buying real estate. I was a senior in college, started buying small properties, two to four units with a, uh, I have an identical twin brother and uh, got married pretty soon after that, actually after college, 23 years old. And it's kind of one of those things where I was an IT consultant, manager consultant. I was a CPA and uh, continued to buy. So Tamil and I started buying small properties together and you kind of run out of money. Uh, plus we were self-managing at the time I was working just an obscene number of hours and coming home and lived in Michigan at the time. Fortunately, we don't live there anymore. <laughs> we're wow. in Dallas, but shoveling snow and, you know, all that fun stuff during the middle of winter because I'm like, Hey, we can't pay someone to do that because we don't have any money. So we started, uh, you know, I said, continue to buy small properties. I started an IT company was doing, you know, pretty decent with that, but I had people all over the world, every time zone, pretty much you can imagine phones going off 24 hours a day, pretty much every day, seven days a week. And, um, didn't really spend much time with Tamil at all. And time I did spend, I was thinking about was work. So caused a couple issues here and there for some reason. Just a few. And <laughs> I not imagine. sure why, but you know. <laughs> I mean, I would really work 90 plus hours a week, every single week. So wow. people say I work a lot. It's like, okay, I get it. But uh, yeah, I worked a lot and slept about three hours a night consistently. And um, so to me, I was like, hey, not working out, need to do something different. And we were like, well, we both love real estate. We've been buying it on our own. So we actually passively invested in a syndication with a friend and then ended up doing a, a couple others like that. And we're like, we could do this. And we started looking, this is 2013. And then we started looking at syndicating on our own. And we, since then we've done uh, 80 transactions, you know, typically a hundred plus unit properties, uh, 12 States. And then the, uh, that's a kind of the acquisition side. And then we started doing coaching in 2016, to help other people that maybe were in similar situations with us or wanted some sort of change. And then Tamil started handling all the event stuff I mentioned along with branding, marketing and, and things like that. So it's a great partnership from, a marriage for one, but also skill set wise, we complement each other very well. And I do what I like and I don't have to do as many things I don't like to do. <laughs> and same with Tamil. He's the technical minded and I'm a little bit more of the creative kind of bigger picture forward thinker business development. So we really are putting our, our skills to the, we're syncing them up for a good partnership. That's awesome. Um, I love that story. Yeah, yeah. I think because I, it's, um, I always like when people, you know, are quitting their W2 job or whatever and going to real estate because it is, you know, it's a leap of faith, right? You don't know. When you, I was going to ask you, when you guys made that pit, what year was it when you guys said, okay, we got to, we're going to end up just divorced and this is going to work if I keep on this trajectory. What year is that when you guys decided to just start going full-time to real estate? Oh, no, uh, no. When we had the issues, it was about uh, 2015. Okay. And at that time, I think for a lot of people that we talked to, or we know, you know, they might be in there. It's like, you know, we were talking about that have these other groups. They're like going to W2. They're sitting there. They're like, I want to get out of this hustle or grind. I'm over it. 
And a lot of people, it's how to make the move. And it's hard because you're giving up that W-2, that security, right? Um, when you guys made the move, were you guys financially in a position really to do that or was it a little bit risky? So it's first a good point about, you know, people want to get our W-2. I had my own business, but it was, you know, just as bad or worse than any WT could power wise and things like that. No flexibility at all. Plus it was IT. So it was, you know, every day of, of the year. Uh, we know some people that have quit their job way too early and you have a wife and kids where it might be, I think that's uh, not, not a wise decision for us. You know, we had the IT business and I scaled that. I started scaling it down a lot and considerably in 2000, 15, 2016, pretty much stopped doing most of it completely. We were not in a position where we had, you know, tons of money in the bank to where we could just survive for years. We probably could for six months or so, I'm guessing at the time. But uh, we had done three deals, you know, decent sized deals prior to um, kind of scaling back the IT business. So with that, we do take an acquisition fee and we were asset managing. So we had some income coming in from that. So we were, uh, it took us, let me see, about uh, just really a couple of years, kind of, I guess. So pretty quickly, we were able to, to do that. Probably not the norm, but just circumstances and kind of taking action and things like that. But three deals, what we had before I scaled back the IT piece. And at the time, uh, Tamia was staying home. She's a nurse initially she was staying home with our, our son, Tyler at that time. Yeah. So there was no millions of dollars in the bank, no big exit on it. It was kind of like, we just need to make a pivot and we might have to take a few steps back, but this is really, we're just going to, we got to just do this. That's exactly right. And in fact, it was kind of, when we started doing the math, we said, if we made even half of what we're making in the it business, we could still, you know, be okay. If you want to say maybe not, not great, but okay. Still live, survive have food, stuff like that. But so that gave us a little bit of comfort level. And, you know, if you start getting a couple of deals going and we're like, we're doing it full time so we can do, uh, you know, maybe a few deals a year at that point in time, you can make okay to, to survive and do okay financially. So how much did you do your first year that you guys went all in? You had done three deals up to that point And then what, what was kind of the next, how many deals did you do after that? I was going to say, was there was an say. explosion, yeah. <laughs> the, well, the first deal, funny enough, took us a year to get. And there were a lot of reasons for that. One, we were looking at a lot of other business opportunities. Uh, but also, um, my, my work schedule didn't really accommodate to a lot, of, a lot of time. And after that, you know, probably have to go back and look. We keep track of all the deals by year and things like that. But I would say the last three years is probably where we've done 80% of the transactions. Wow. That's amazing. I love to hear that. It sounds like from what I can hear is like you guys were kind of pushed to the limit in your marriage and then also pushed to the limit of what you were very limited in what you could do investing in real estate because of also, you know, your job and the other thing. It was all kind of this big explosion. But I feel like sometimes when you're pushed up against the wall to make a decision, you kind of just have to take a leap of faith. And it sounds like that has really paid off well for you guys. Yeah, I do believe that too. I mean, there's a little risk involved for sure. I figured I could always go back to IT. I mean, I had tons of tons of contacts I could go back to and do what I was doing before. In reality, I was, you know, initially looking at it. Well, this is kind of what my dad worked a lot. He worked two jobs. We had uh, seven kids in our in the family, and I was kind of like, well, I'm doing the same thing. And I still was able to do stuff with the kids, but it was from a mindset standpoint, take care of the family financially, you know. Don't beat your wife up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> those type of things, and um, that's what I figured I was doing. But there's so much more to that reality in life and being happy and joyful and things like that. Where I wasn't when I did IT. There's this like you know, like being present because I know fully what you're saying is like you know even I think for all of us too when you're trying to build something it's like being with your family or like have to remind yourself to be present because just because you're there doesn't mean you're really there. You're just kind of going through the motions a lot. And that's, that does wear on you and it wears on your family. Um, what would you guys say? Like, how has that dynamic changed since you went full time and now you're doing coaching and training and you have your podcast? How has that dynamic changed in your family? So I would say the dynamic between Mark and I 
um, has gotten a lot better. And there's multiple reasons for that, right? So we mentioned marriage counseling. They helped, she helped us to be able to communicate well with each other. Um, when events and stuff started happening, I started putting on the events, started creating our, our mentorship group. Um, that's kind of like in my wheelhouse. So the more I did, the more success I saw in that, the more confidence I got in myself, the more confidence Mark started having in me, the more we were able to kind of work together. Um, I, you know, for women in general, maybe it's for men as well, but confidence really is key to happiness in life, right? Confident um, with yourself, your self-image, what you are capable of bringing to the table in a marriage or business or your children. Um, and that was kind of key for me. So once my confidence level grew and Mark started valuing me, which everybody wants to feel valued, um, I think our dynamic changed and the kids have seen it. They've felt it. Our family dynamic um, their schooling changed. They seem to change the way they do school every two or three years. Um, so they went from, you know, homeschool or a hybrid school, which was three days Christian school, two days homeschool or five days a week school. And so we kind of just roll with what the family needs at the time. But I think our family dynamic is freaking rocking right now. Yeah, yeah I mean, I took, yeah, for sure. I took uh, my daughter out on a date yesterday, which I would never have done probably in IT, like during the week, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, in fact, she just, um, she read something to me. She made me read it actually. She's 14, but she's writing a little story, which is a requirement for school about someone that's changed their life has changed, you know, kind of a big significant change in life and why they did it, how it was before here, how it is now. So she wrote about my story basically about wow. IT building to what we're doing now. So, um, so yeah, that's really cool. That's cool. I love that's, that. That's awesome. Yeah, the one thing I was going to say is, um, Tamil, you mentioned that um, because I see this, one of the things when people, I mean, you guys deal with coaching, right? And a lot of it, we tell people, like, how do you guys work together? And I said, well, number one, if you're going to start buying real estate, you should really try to do it as a team, right? Because sometimes like, oh, I'm going to handle this and my wife's at home. And I go, yeah, but that's, I don't think that really works out well long term. And if something happens to you, God forbid, you just, if somebody's not involved, they don't know anything but I think like you said, you said when you were like empowered or you were like felt like you were given permission to like be a part of the business or a partnership, that's what we kind of realized with people. I said, look, a lot of people, they don't know what the word is, but they're looking for like a, a partnership to be on a team. I think husband and wife thinks it's like this rolls that and your roles this. It's like, no, we can work together. But that's what I was going to ask you guys. You guys are meeting with a lot of people. They want to get out of the W-2 and we see this and they want to quit the job. But I also say, hey, is the wife going to help? And they're like, no, why? And I'm like, well, I, I think it would be, it's a good dynamic. And how does that work with you guys when people are reaching out to you and um, you're coaching people? Do you see that a lot too? Is a lot of it's the, not just, hey, this is how you buy deals, but you got to like bring the married couple together to be on the same page so they can move forward. Yeah, we definitely encourage spouses to try to at least, like you said, get on the same page about the real estate investing. And then if the wife really doesn't want any involvement, assuming it's the husband who's doing the leading in this, because we do have some women who are the ones doing the leading, um, then we encourage at least the wives to come to our networking events. And then we try to give tips of, hey, when you come to the networking events, the women or the, the alternate spouse, doesn't really need to know the terminology. They don't need to know anything about the industry. When you're networking, people just want to get to know you and who you are. So if you want to just sit back and listen the first time, the second time, maybe start asking questions, personal questions to other people and start getting used to networking that way. People want to know about your kids and what you do for fun and where's your favorite place to vacation. They want to get to know you and what sets you apart from everybody else in the room. So that's one kind of avenue we try to encourage the wives to come and get involved. Yeah, we've had a number like of trust. Yeah. 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 We've had a, a lot, you know, to Tamil's point, it's mostly male dominated industry, which just is we have, you know, a dozen or so women that lead in their deals in our group and their husbands actually aren't involved, which is really awesome. But it, when you see a partnership where, hey, one guy's by himself, typically let's say it's a male spouse's home and then they start coming to an event to, to meal's point and they start getting more and more involved then before you know it they're lots of times are handling like the social media aspect of it 
doing newsletters, uh, things that are still important. And then we've also seen it where they get so involved that maybe the husband is still working, the wife's home, she becomes a real estate professional and, you know, with the tax benefits related to that, if you're, you know, people are aware with that, you know, we don't pay any federal income tax. And that's happened to a lot of people in our group because a spouse has said, well, I'm home here. Are the requirements become a real estate professional. It's difficult if someone has a W2 job, but it's the spouse can do that and save a ton in taxes. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen the, the tax benefits and, and it's interesting because we had another uh, female on the show and she had such great, points because I'm a really big proponent of women being involved in the financial picture and their family. But um, women just also tend to bring a dynamic that maybe men don't bring. Like we have a, a perspective and I think we kind of have like that gut feeling a lot of times that we trust, you know, I mean, you have to have it with your kids. You have it in your family. I feel like we bring a little bit of a different dynamic that is, is, incredibly positive and it's just really about like you said building that confidence too that you know trust your gut and you know give we all have our skill sets right and each one is different I tend to be the more like technology type person and Kenny's the more creative type person so it's like it's a good balance uh to have a team member that's always there to kind of support you and I think a key point is to not undervalue the other contribution being made by the partner we have a lot of people in our group that partner up, just, just reality. And I don't think there's probably a single case where one partner doesn't do more than the other. It just happens for whatever reason, just kind of, you know, it, it's happened. But like with Tamil and, and myself, you know, I could say, well, the event stuff is that's whatever, you know, and, you know, doing the branding marketing, that's whatever. And I do the technical aspect, I go find deals, but the reality is we can't build our business without doing both of them. So, so don't undervalue somebody else. Like you mentioned, Hey, you're the technical person. Kenny's more creative and things like that. You could say, Hey, you're the artsy guy and you know, you don't get anything done because all you're doing is thinking about all these things that are, you know, <laughs> uh, artsy type stuff, you know, but you can't get into Excel and run a deal and I'm making that up. Right. But it's, it doesn't matter. You, you need both sides to be able to build a business. Absolutely. And that's the thing I think people don't realize too, is just part of owning a business. You're not just, you know, you're not the carpenter. Now you have to be the bookkeeper and the uh, marketing person and the HR and, you know, you've got to be all the things. And so it's very difficult to wear all those hats and any one person isn't going to do them all well. We all have our, our strengths. <laughs> so I was going to ask you guys, cause you mentioned something when, um, so you guys, when you guys said you looked at many opportunities and you landed on multifamily, if I heard that right. Um, and I think that's a lot of the people's stories. They're just like, okay, we want to get out of the whatever. If you own a business or don't own it, you could consider yourself in a rat race or you need to make a change. Um, and basically how did you guys ultimately realize that multifamily was like the vehicle to this big change in your life? Yeah, I think for, for me, we were already buying real estate. So we believed in it. We liked it. It was a scaling, uh, type issue for us. There were a couple other, you know, things I looked at when I had an IT business, I paid a ton in taxes and I would ask my CPA, man, how can I not pay so much in taxes? Like you're pretty much doing everything you can just part of it. You know, if you make money, you're gonna pay taxes, you know, I'm like, I think there are a lot of rich people that don't pay taxes, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, how or why I really didn't, you know, you think this is stuff that they would teach you in school, but they don't. But for me, it was really more, okay, well, can we get through, through this? And then like, benefit for taxes for one. It was time for me. I was like, well, I saw some other people doing this type of business and, and they, they could kind of turn it on and off. They weren't having to work, you know, like I was working. I'm some people I knew directly doing this. I'm like, that don't seem to work that hard, you know, or as hard as I was working and uh, the flexibility, I also had to travel. So it was, we looked at, we were already buying smaller properties. The scale piece of it was a big one. And then when you find out about cap rates and how, you know, really the five units and above is treated more as a business by lenders. And you're seeing, you know, how much the value can be increased and you can do a refinance and things like that. That's where I think a lot of people light bulb turn on and like, holy, holy cow, man, I can actually, every dollar I can increase my operating income, right? It's going to be $20 of value. And uh, people are like, well, how does that, well, it works. That's the way it works. And that's the way people value multifamily. It's just reality at a five cap, it's $20 of value. 
How did and how so and also you guys like scaled super quick and you know we've met people that have done that. Um, how did you guys just hit this like crazy trajectory where you just like exploded because you did? Like you said, you bought a lot of deals in the last three years and that's a lot of work and that's like I'd like to learn like more how you guys just went from like three deals to like boom. Uh, part of it was the getting outside of Dallas. So in two thousand uh late 15 we started looking outside dallas because we thought at the time dallas was getting expensive uh yeah right but it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> we're buying here again so we, we're a second deal we're, we're closing here in the last probably four months so but we started going to atlanta originally and a lot of people weren't actually buying in atlanta it was a repeat of what we saw in dallas so we got in there early we bought you know several thousand units there and we're, uh-huh. we're selling a lot of properties and things like that and just started going to new states and, and leveraging our broker relationships. We've always been good buyers, good sellers. You should do what you're gonna, you say you're gonna do. Um, you wanna be easy to work with, not a pushover, but easy to work with. So we leveraged our broker relationships in different states and said, hey, can you make an introduction into this state? So we're, you know, now we're in, we're in 12 states. But also on top of that, it was, so we, you know, we get a lot of off-market deals and things like that. But with having the, the coaching group, mentoring group, uh, there are people out looking they don't, they're not required to partner with us on any deals or anything like that. They can if they want to. So we have a number of people out there looking for deals that may choose to partner on a deal uh, with us for, we'll sign the loan, bring capital, uh, different aspects. They can use us as uh, relationships with the brokers uh, and things like that. So in fairness, I think having other people out there kind of hunting down deals, because that's that's really the longest piece in the in the transaction is trying to find a deal people look at a couple hundred deals sometimes before they get one. That's a lot of time. So that's helped us kind of weed through. And then a lot of the deals we get now from brokers directly, I don't just, you know, I don't get an email and start looking at deals typically. It's usually a broker reaching out saying, hey, this is a deal based on your criteria I think you should look at. That way our conversion rate might be 10%, one in 10 now versus one in 100 or one in 200. So our percentage we can actually get of deals has increased significantly without wasting as much time. And I would like to back up because um, I think you, what do you, how would you tell somebody that's might be getting in the syndication game or trying to buy a apartment building, how to be a good buyer? What is like, you've obviously bought a lot of deals, sold a lot of deals, but I know you kind of went over it quickly, but can you give some of, because obviously you start somewhere and you said your first deal took a year, which a lot of people don't realize but how how have you become just a great buyer to where people just want you to do deals with them? Yeah, for one, we you know we've never not closed a deal. Wow. So I'm not saying it couldn't happen, right? Um, but we've never not closed a deal. So that's that's that means a lot to a to a seller and to a broker if we can say we've done you know over eighty transactions, never not closed one. Wow. Um, retrading. So retrading just says, hey, you're under contract, and you go back and you find something and you're like, Oh, I want to, I want to credit, you know, to the seller because now I found this, but you know, you didn't tell me or so some people will retrade silly things. If you can see something or you, it was disclosed to you, do not, don't go back to the seller and be like, Oh, I want to, I want to credit for this. Like the parking lot. Really? You didn't notice that when you (laughs) do ridiculous things. One of the biggest things I think, and you know, everyone thinks everything has to be a negotiation. Fine. I'm sure people out there teach that. If I'm doing a $20 million deal and we're arguing over $10,000, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It happens all the time. And people kill deals because of that. You know what? I'd rather have you win. Kenny, you won $10,000. Here you go. And we're closing the deal. So people argue over certain things. Pride. You know, it's the biggest thing everyone has an issue with, right? As far as if they're going to have problems with things. And that's where people in negotiations will fall down because of someone it's not right or this isn't fair. You know what? Who cares? If the deal works and works for you and your investors and it's still a good deal, I don't really care. We're going to move forward. And then just, you know, you might be not be able to control this or not, frankly. There are jerks out there. You know, there are. We've, we've dealt with sellers that are jerks before and 
And I'll tell you if the seller's a jerk, guarantee their attorney's a jerk too. I said, jerks turn around. <laughs> <laughs> every, every time. Our, our attorney we've known for over 11 years. I'm like, have fun with this one, buddy, because I can tell you, <laughs> I don't know who their attorney is, but I can tell you he's going to be a jerk. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I like that. I've really heard Well, you tend like to that. work with people who are just like, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so if you do what you say you're going to do, you know, let's say an example, let's say I get a letter of intent and I accept it. I'm selling a property and someone else comes with a higher bid. Do I accept it or not? I already gave my word and maybe even signed a letter of intent and say, oh, it's not legally binding. Okay. It's not legally binding. I get that. But you gave your word and you signed a document saying you're going to take that offer. So do you take it or not? And it's a small, small world as far as broker wise and your reputation is everything. You only have to mess up once to, to be, <laughs> to no longer be uh, wanting to do deals and things like that. Cause people won't want to do deals with you. And I know some buyers and sellers that I don't want to deal, do deals with and I won't look at them because of, you know, I know what happened or we had an experience with them in the past. Integrity <laughs> is important for sure. Yeah. We always, uh, we tell people too, like, yeah, just don't be a pain in the butt. Like, you know, some of these people, they come and it's like, they think they're just really successful. Cause like you said, they're just over negotiating every little point. And you're like, nobody wants to work with the person who's complaining all the time. <laughs> it's just, I mean, if yeah. we have a right now we're going through on a deal and the fact is the lender is going to miss a deadline and you know, what's fair. Okay. I don't want to say, well, what do you want, Mr. Seller or whatever? We'll offer something up. We'll release all the money out of escrow into your account, out of title. We'll give you whatever, extra 50 grand, whatever it is, right? But to just sit there and be like, well, you know, um, not offer anything up and be fair about it. Um, fair is probably relative in people's mind, but I feel that we're level-headed, common sense, and we'll do what's fair and right on both sides. And we're not, we're not trying to always screw the other guy. And if you're trying to do that, you're going to be short-lived in the industry. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah. And what have you guys, I mean, it's, 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 I mean, you know, you haven't been syndicating for 30 years, right? So I think it's cool. You guys done so much in a small period of time. When you guys look back now, which you probably do and have a conversation from the first deal to this deal, um, what have you, what's like some of the big takeaways or lessons that you learned, whether it's just going through the deal process or how you guys work with your team or anything that you guys have just learned to do something, whether it's more efficient or just like you said is um, you're working with a difficult seller. You, you know, like you might just the first time you might've been bothered. Now you're like, okay, let's just be reasonable about this. Like whatever it is. I mean, you guys have to have some things that are changed or just can dramatically have changed, you know? Yeah, I, I would say that that one point you brought up again, I mean, another example where someone is buying us out of a deal, his 1031 guy wants to buy us out of a deal, wants to stay on, you know, as a, as a KP. And I'm like, no, I'm not staying on as a KP. Why would I do that? I'm not in a deal anymore, you know? And he wants to stay on as KP because he wants to save $25,000 doing a, you know, the application fee and stuff like that with a lender on a $24 million transaction. <laughs> but, Really, dude, you know, I'd say one of the biggest things, like you said, kind of going through, we've seen a lot of different things. Almost everything can be solved if both parties want to solve it. It's just, it's just reality. One of the biggest things we've, we've seen earlier on is that we did not raise enough for working capital and contingency and things like that. Because as much as people think lenders are their partner, they are because they're giving you money, but they're not very good partners in general. They're not, you know, they, we've had lenders take up to six months to give us reimbursement for work that we've already done. And, wow. you know, they're just things like that. Right. So raising more money up front without a doubt, um, is, is good. You don't have to be ridiculous about it, but you need some money sitting there. Uh, and especially if something happens like during the pandemic, it was like, oh, great. We have some money in the bank to be able to survive if we need to, because nobody knows what's going to happen. Transaction wise, I would say I wouldn't try to go to all people new every time. People are always trying to switch around different, different, uh, third, yeah, vendors. Like, you know, we use the same attorney, we use them for, you know, beginning of time. We, uh, mortgage broker, use that. And then also, I would say we've learned that we only want to do business with people that we know, like, and trust. I know people use that and probably overuse it, but reality is, we're not going to do business with you if we don't know, like, and trust you. 
and or your you know life is a big thing because yeah. you can say well hey can i still make money or do that i can can i learn from somebody i don't like i can but i don't really want to to deal with them you know so life is short <laughs> yeah even investors you know yeah. they're investors sometimes like no i don't want them as an investor i can already tell from the conversation that they're going to be a pain in the butt and there's nothing wrong with asking questions you're putting a lot of money into a deal i get that but there's a difference between asking questions and being a jerk or a pain in the butt and we choose not to do business with people that are either of those two so what's your um i mean what is your guys so you're in 12 markets what's your kind of feel on the pulse on the market right now whether that's you know just in general or kind of like you know obviously everybody has their opinion inflation is obviously uh real hot and real yeah. <laughs> It's not going away tomorrow. Um, obviously, it seems like the consensus is is rents are going up literally by everybody I listen to, not even people that are in real estate. They could be the bond king guy or economist or anybody that doesn't even invest in real estate. They're like, rents are going up, which is, you know, good to hear. But what do you guys kind of see and feel out there right now? Yeah, I'll give my, my take on it. So as you mentioned, people try to predict what's going to happen and they're very, you know, emphatic about it. And they're usually wrong. Well, uh, we were told we were at the top of the market in 2015, which is why we were kind of skittish to buy anything in Dallas. And we're like, Oh, we don't know. So look where we are now. It's only going up maybe depending on your market, but Dallas being one of the hottest, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think getting into other markets is, is key looking for some of those maybe secondary tertiary oh. markets that we look at for sure there. I think that uh, inflation, like you mentioned, out of control, rents are going up like crazy, crazy, but expenses are going up too, right? I mean, we're, we're seeing that with um, people that work on site and things like that. But I think uh, we've seen that multifamily has performed very, very well, even during the pandemic. I think that was a big concern initially for virtually everybody in the industry. But we saw that a lot of people family office, private equity people we deal with on a regular basis. They're throwing more and more money at multifamily and away from some of the other asset classes like hotels and office space and things like that because multifamily, everybody needs a place to live. It's actually performed really well even during the pandemic. There, there wasn't like there was uh, issue free. There were issues for sure, like with, you know, moratorium for evictions and things like that. But we're rates are still really low. We're seeing that um, in, in most markets across the board, cap rates are being compressed further. Will it continue or not? Well, I think in some markets, if we look at Dallas, you know, in 2015, cap rates, you know, 8%, now about a four, four cap for a lot of areas right now. <laughs> and you look at it and go, well, how can that be? Dallas is different. Dallas is 100% different than it was even 2015 with all the people moving here, all the jobs coming here. You know, as soon as Toyota moved here and whatever it was, maybe uh, 15 or whatever it was, then it just, everything's just started coming here. And all the people from California, like where you guys are from, <laughs> you know, still no income tax and stuff like that. So I think there's certain markets uh, like Dallas that are completely different. Now, will ever go back to an A cap? I highly doubt it, frankly. Could it go down to a, a three cap? I could see it. We're seeing properties trade below four cap right now in a lot of areas in Dallas. So I think that people are, looking at some of the alternatives and going, those are riskier alternatives. I would actually even invest in multifamily even if it is a little bit lower return than some of these other risky assets. People have money sitting in the bank. You know, I was looking just the other day, 0.01% on your savings account for two of the major banks. 7,200 years, your money will double. And, so, you know, it's, that's a long time, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> even if you were making 5% or 6% on multifamily, with a, you know, a physical asset, typically inflation proof, it has proof so far, right? So I think there's going to be more money coming to it. We've seen more money coming to it will be probably over 100 million equity this year alone. So we're seeing wow. more and more people coming to multifamily. And is it going to change? I don't know. But I think if it gets worse, it's going to get worse for everything else. 100%. Yeah. And it's, it's I tell people all the time, it's funny, because certain people, if you don't know about real estate, you think that it's really risky. Uh, but I always tell people, I think multifamily is about the safest investment you can possibly make. It is the most conservative investment. You can drive by it. You can touch it. People always need a place to live. It might go down a little, but you know, if you wait 
you know, it's going to go back up. It's going to go, it's, it's historically gone higher for a multifamily. You're right. Have there been yeah. dips for sure. And like you said, like, so people are like, well, what are the alternatives? I mean, reality, you think your stock market's safe? I mean, give me a break. Do you even think your money in the bank is safe? Mm, I would question it, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the cash is trash. Isn't really cash is trash. You need it, but it's trash is since I don't think we'll get it where you're not, like you said, if you have money in a bank sitting there and you're not made, if, if it's not going to be put to use soon, it's literally, you're just, you're actually, because of inflation, you're actually losing money. You're net negative. You're getting, yeah, you're, you're getting, you're at, if you have a million now and it just sits there, it's not really going up because you're losing, right? The with good inflation. News is with apartments, you can't have like some crazy, you know, like Robin Hood GameStop event where, you know, like people are coming in and doing like, these are the kinds of things that always get me to when people are investing in the stock market. I'm like, this is like some crazy wild thing can just come out of nowhere. You know, you know the entire market has no logic at all. There's no, none, logic none. yeah, people yeah. Still pay rents. Um, like you said, there could be issues here or there, but I, but it's I very, logical. very logical. It all makes it all sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And I think the cool, you know, um, Grant Cardone said it, you know, what is it? Five, six years ago, he said a lot of people. And I think too, it's because of the internet's, the internet's educated a lot of people like, you know, this is the people I forget who has the saying, they said, you can just learn more on YouTube than you can in college in a school, right? If you just go on there and spend all the time on YouTube, it's unbelievable. But because of the YouTube and the program stuff, not only did multifamily or just you can buy real estate in the U.S. and get a return and there's a tax, it's gone global. And so like Grant said, the people that are coming and buying like Dallas, that's what we say in San Diego, we kind of keep compete with ourselves here. Dallas, it's like you guys got everybody in the world seems like trying to buy a deal there, which is crazy. So it's different. And I think that kind of like not the secrets out, but I think like Grant said, Hey, people that want to invest in something that has a cash flow return, that it's not a get rich overnight. It's a get rich for sure. But then I tell people, you know, there's one, Oh, you only make five, six, 7%. I'm like, yeah, the equity, but I'm like, yeah, but if you know how to do the game, right. And you don't pay taxes, do you really know how much you make when you don't pay taxes. That number is astronomical. So, and that's why you guys understand that. I mean, most of the real estate investors that we know here or we talk to that have enough holdings, they don't pay federal tax. And so I think people have a hard time um, understanding that. I mean, the first time we, um, we know Brad Sumrock, but we interviewed him. He says, I was on stage and I was bragging about paying a million dollars in taxes. And I got off and Tom Wheelwright came on. He said, yeah, you're actually not that smart. You're an idiot. And he says, excuse me. And Tom real writes to Robert Kiyosaki goes, yeah, that's not that. How is that smart that you're bragging paying a million dollars? He goes, well, a smart person doesn't pay. And he goes, well, that's impossible. He's like, he literally took my taxes and refiled and I paid zero. He's like, I have ever since, but that's just, he's like, I was in the apartment game and I didn't even know this, which is crazy. I don't think they want you to know, right? <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's, crazy to me because we do, I'm a, I do multifamily financing. I'm a mortgage broker as well. And so, uh, it's amazing to me how I have clients who literally have been investing in real estate for 20 or 30 years and they've never heard of like a cost segregation study or the, so many people have no idea, or they think it's like, I talked to somebody uh, recently, a broker that we use a lot and he goes, yeah, I don't really believe in that. It's kind of like, I think it's like a scam. It's like, what? It's a scam. <laughs> I've never heard this. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, so I was gonna I was gonna jump into that when you guys so to, in jumping into your program, so you guys have obviously bought a ton of stuff, you've done this all, which obviously puts you on this pedestal, and people go like, okay, I want to learn from you guys with your course, with your training. Do you feel like most people are coming to you? Is it I want to fire my boss or sell my business or go into real estate to make money or is some of it just, Hey, I need the tax. What would you say? Like the tax benefit? What's an, a kind of some of the initial attractions to like you guys or the real estate that you are dealing with, with your students or people, you know, I think it's a combination of everything. I mean, we even have a doctor in our group who joined our group to eventually maybe be able to work less, but Right now, he's got a, a great practice and he's raising money from other doctors, but he's been able to reduce his tax rate significantly. So that's what he's able to share with his other doctors that he's getting into multifamily investing as, as passive investors. 
then we tend to get a lot of engineers who, or IT guys who maybe like Mark who are working a lot of hours, it's intense, and they're looking to eventually transition out of their uh, nine to five or eight to five or eight to eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and do more what we do just because there's more flexibility in it. There's um, freedom in the lifestyle um, and in doing multifamily full time. So it's not like you're necessarily retiring, but you are transitioning into a more flexible role that you control. So that's what I love about multifamily is it really does. It does provide financial freedom, but it provides a freedom in life to allow you to do more of the things you love with the people you love. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, I talk to people all the time, uh, people trying to get, you know, in the group where it may be. And it's it's typically, hey, for us, right, for the avatar, it's someone typically married, usually has, you know, a child or two. And they're, they might actually make pretty decent money, but they don't have the time or freedom. Those are the two big things that we run into, probably even more so than taxes and things like that, that, hey, I want to be able to leave a legacy for my kids. Uh, I want to be able to spend time with my wife and kids more, travel if I want to, and things like that. So it's usually pretty professional type people. Tamil mentioned, you know, engineer, not all, but you know, engineer, IT, making pretty decent money. And a lot of people, um, if both spouses work, uh, they typically want to have the one stop working. That's very, very common as well. What are you telling people right now? Because I'm sure you're getting this question a lot is, Man, the market's so expensive. Should I really be buying real estate now? Yeah, I always think I think you should always look, no matter what. I don't care what the market's doing. You know, people during COVID, people, you know, I was on podcasting during COVID. Several of them like, yeah, we're still looking heavily. People are like, what? You know, it's like no one knows what's going to go on. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. We're still looking. I'm not saying we're buying. We're going to look. So for me, I think as long as you hook up with somebody that's done it before. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, right? But in you, you know, everyone's going to, no one's going to say, hey, my underwriting is not conservative at all. I mean, no one's going to say that, right? But if you <laughs> actually look at different aspects of underwriting, there are certain <laughs> things you, you better know. Uh, you better know as far as an underwriting deal, whether it's going to, you know, a little change here or there can totally make a deal look good. And if you're not, you know, educated enough to look for those things, then you're going to get in trouble. So, I think as long as you hook up with someone who's done it before, you're, you're patient, which is hard for everybody. Uh, you're going to have to look at a lot of deals. You're going to get frustrated, but a deal will hit. And as long as you have a number of people kind of looking at the deal along with you and maybe doing independent underwriting and you engage the right people like property tax consultant and mortgage brokers and insurance and all those things, right? Property management company independently giving you feedback, then it gives you at least a comfort level. They have gathered all this information independently from third parties. I can compare it to what I think, compare it to industry standards, and then make a decision and then also decide how much of the income is coming from cash flow versus appreciation. And uh, I think some cases people are like, hey, I can, it's a hundred percent return. Like, yeah, your cash flow is horrible. It's a hundred percent return because you're using a three cap in a market that's a five cap. You know what I mean? Those, <laughs> they, they do it. We see it all the time, you know, and and I think the more you're able to look at deals and be comfortable as far as what to look for, it gives you the comfort level. Are you ever going to be 100% confident? I know this deal absolutely is going to perform, you know, no question asked. No, things can happen on, on a deal, but I would also not try to go into a deal that's a home run. Hey, 0% occupied, 50% occupied, unless your background's around that, right? But if you're, if it's not, I wouldn't do that. I would focus on deals that look more like mm, less risky. What makes makes it less risky? It's a market I know. I'm using property management company I know. It's a similar asset to you know whatever it may be. Eliminate as many risks and variables as you can, and that's going to help give you the comfort level that I have more confidence and ability to perform. But it is a business, and people can make businesses fail. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, you can create a lot more challenges for yourself. I've been seeing that too, like some aggressive underwriting, um, with people. And I think that's when it gets a little bit dangerous is this assumption that because everything's been going up, that it's just going to continue that way. (laughs) So I, I think we're getting into that territory a little bit because people are having to compete with some of these big, you know, REITs or, um, things like that, where they just literally need to get money out they need to get it invested and it's a little bit of a different competition, but 
overall, like, like we've kind of said, generally speaking, if you know your underwriting and you know your numbers, like you have to mess up pretty bad to lose your property. <laughs> yeah. Like it's gotta be like, you gotta just like ignore it completely for a while for it to fail. And that's again, like the, the thing that's beautiful with real estate. Um, I was going to ask you too, in terms of like, I know that right now the like bridge financing is super, uh, popular with, with everyone. Are you doing that type of financing or what are you guys doing in, in the syndications that you're doing? 90% bridge. We've been doing bridge since 2015 though. So yeah, yeah. everyone's talking about oh bridge and I would never do bridge. Frankly, people don't understand bridge debt. Then when they, when they make statements like that, because reality is you're not going to go to Fannie or Freddie on a 50% occupied building. Right. Right. You know, so we have a building we bought in 15 months. We pulled out 87% of the capital. Can't do that on Fannie or Freddie because nope. they would not have loaned to us. Right. So is it riskier potentially, but most of bridge debt right now, three years plus one plus one, five years to get out of it four or sub 4%. Um, typically no interest reserves anymore. So their prepayment is way different than, you know, defeasance and things like that on a Fannie uh, loan and step down on Freddie and those type of things. So there are a lot of benefits. I just tell people get educated in all the different variables of the loans because it's a lot different than residential, you know, home and then make a decision. If your decision is I want to lock in a, you know, 12 year Fannie loan or Freddie, fine, that, that's fine. But at least get educated. If you rule out some of these loans like bridge, that's fine too. Then you're going to have to, that's going to also help define your criteria. I'm not looking at properties that are, you know, 85% occupied because it's going to be really difficult to get Fannie or Freddie on it. Right. I'm not looking at properties that have huge, huge value ads. We've got, you know, $21,000 a door in a bridge loan plus 80% leverage. So uh, we do a lot of bridge, but we've been doing it for years when everyone's like complaining about bridge loans. And frankly, I don't think people really understood them at the time. And a lot of people don't understand today either. I think they're scared. I agree with you because we do a lot of bridge uh, right now as well. I think it gives you a lot more flexibility and it allows you to do what you need to do to the property quickly without all the red tape. Uh, but I agree. I think if you don't know what you're doing, which I, I feel like the good news is, is most lenders require you to be experienced. So it's not as, it's not so easy to just walk in and get a, a bridge loan without the experience, which is a good, thing. A good thing. Much, much more uh, difficult now to get a loan for sure for the average yeah. person without a doubt. What, what keeps you got, what keeps you guys up at night? because <laughs> they sleep in our bed unfortunately that's not my doing but they we... biggest mistake we made too the dogs are in the bed i said after yeah. this when these dogs are gone no more <laughs> yeah you know for me i don't know tamil can jump in but for me you know if it was one to ten stress level when i was it it was definitely a 10 pretty much every single day it just was wow wow um, I mean, you put it in your stomach, right? You can't sleep. The one good thing about stress is you don't really have to eat much. You don't have to sleep much, right? That's the one benefit to stress, at least for me anyways. Um, now with what we do, I rarely ever get stressed. I mean, we, we had, we had something blowing up today, right? I mean, I'm like, we'll get through it. Somehow we'll figure it out. We always do. Um, but you know, if, uh, COVID when it first hit definitely was like mm, some concerns here or there. But now I think we kind of have the systems in place and, and uh, you know, we've done it enough times now to where we don't really have anything coming up that we're like, how are we going to get through this? We have a good team of people too, and third, you know, vendors and things like that too. So I don't know, very, very few things keep me up at night anymore. If anything, it'd be maybe something with one of the kids, something going on more than, more than business, frankly. Good for you. Well, that's, that's good. good that's good. You. That's yeah, nice. Absolutely. Are your kids interested in the business or do they help out at all? So uh, our 14 year old daughter likes to come to the events. Of course, it gets her out of school since our events now start on Friday and Saturday. Um, but she likes to come and help with registration. She is really, um, she's always been a people person. And then our son who's 17 is trying to figure out his place now. So where he can where he can help fill in the gaps. Or he asked me, you know, how much do you pay your assistant? Cause she's like a jack of all trades and she'll, well, what does she do for you? I'm like, uh, I can do that. So, <laughs> trying to figure out different aspects of what she does so he can make as much money as she makes and, and maybe not go to college, but we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. He has another year to kind of think through that process. But he has certain interests, you know, different than maybe like he, he's, 
could be analytical probably but he's more like he plays guitar and stuff like that i don't i don't do any of that but he he's very much more along those lines and then he's into like video like he, he can edit videos really well and things like that podcast graphics. podcast and, and so i think you know there's definitely he can add some value there he does ask a lot of questions he always asks questions i mean no matter what it is mm-hmm. um and you mentioned about youtube i mean the guys on, he's on youtube all the time trying to figure stuff out i mean he's trying to he's trying to what's he trying, trying to fix the guitar yesterday mm-hmm. four and a half hours learning how to solder and he went and pretty much in, kit. in the dark um outside and still didn't get it done but he was on youtube he's like oh, i have one more youtube video to watch you know <laughs> so unfortunately he conceded and took it to the shop today yeah. but uh you can learn a lot now whether you're successful in implementing what you learn is, is a different story but he knows more now than he did before and i think with a business he does have a lot of interest as far as like business in general and he sees what we've been able to do and how we've been able to get through a lot of things so uh, he has a lot more interest right now in it than i think uh, he did before and he's he's doing mostly homeschool and online schooling and he sees our lifestyle being able to work from home and the flexibility so for a 17 year old he already is in that entrepreneur multi-family living lifestyle so if he had to go work for a nine to five, I don't know how he would cope. No, he's like, I've already been through this for 11 years for schooling and schooling. And that's ridiculous. And, you know, I should not have to do that. I'm like, dude, we, what? We went through way more than. <laughs> hours a day, like, every day. I don't even know what you're referring to because that doesn't make sense to me, but. They should pay him to go to school. For sure. <laughs> have a, a program per se I could actually do deal analysis for my math and I can do you know uh I can write stuff for English and true all true but like we get all that but you're still going to graduate from high school buddy okay and at minimum you graduate from high school from a and, program from a program and then you know we'll talk about it after that but he's always looking for a way to, to, <laughs> to shorten to the shorten the yeah honestly that's so smart though I know like as parents sometimes it can be tedious and annoying or you know you're like come on get real but I love that they're kind of like learning how to navigate that they don't have to take the same path that everyone's taking um and I think that's so cool that you guys like how you guys work together I just feel like it's such a great way to bring your family together and to kind of like grow together and have them be a part of something that they can build off of in their life you know whether you're here or not here it's just it's really cool that your kids have kind of seen you guys too go through the struggles and kind of get to where you're at. We tell them everything. So we, we share. We talk about everything. And they tell us everything. Yeah, we have a conversation in the kitchen. I won't go into details, but my <laughs> son's talking and my, my daughter's like, uh, I'm going to my bedroom, you know? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to participate in this conversation, but he tells us everything. And, uh, but you know, with the schooling piece with him, even when he's little, I mean, he was like five. He's like, Daddy, do you use this? I'm like, No, I don't. Um, I mean, most of the stuff from school I don't use. You know, I'm being real with them. The, you know, the the parent that doesn't tell their kids stuff or flat out lies about stuff. Frankly, we've always been open with them about everything. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, not fair. This doesn't make sense, but you have to get through it. Um, unfortunately, and um, when our daughter's adopted, and we've always talked about that. So anytime they've had questions, oh, yeah. we talk about the situation or what we know about the birth mom. And yeah. so we're, we're extremely open. That's awesome. That. I think yeah. what's cool about your guys' story is um, for just anybody that would listen to it, it's like, it's like the typical, you know, the American dream is, Hey, I'm going to go start a business, but you know, that's not necessarily the American dream, right? It could be the American nightmare working 90 hours. And you guys, a lot of people just you could have not made that pivotal moment and said, you could have been like, okay, this isn't working. We're just going to get divorced and do that. And you keep working 90 hours and then you have health problems. Right. I think what's cool is that if you look back for a lot of people, you're like, just because you're struggling, you might be young, you might struggle 10, 15 years from now. That doesn't mean you can't work it out and go on a different trajectory, whatever it is, multifamily or something else. And then look at you guys, you guys, I mean, I don't know you personally, but I can tell you guys seem very happy together, connected. And I think that just shows that like what communication does and obviously what counseling does, I call them coaches because people hate the word counseling. So I said, fine, call it a coach. 
Um, but then obviously like having freedom and like you said, financial freedom and like now your family gets to experience this together that, I mean, your kids get to see this journey. It's, it's, it's awesome. So I think for you guys, like kudos to you and your success just to be able to pivot and make it happen. Cause I think a lot of people we see, they never make it happen. They just say, this is life. And, oh, well, I'll, I'm just going to keep doing this till I die. Yeah. That's right. my dad did. That's what I'm doing. Okay. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so where, where is the best, like for people to learn more about you? Cause you guys have a lot going on. So, um, miss business development. Can you tell us about your podcast, everything you have going on just so everybody can like, just listen and where to find you guys. Sure. Um, so our podcast is the think multifamily podcast. Um, we okay. typically release once a week. So it's on all the typical channels. Um, our website is think multifamily.com. I like that. Um, you can follow us on almost every social media platform there is. So you, I know you're, you are the creative in the family and your website is just like really well laid out. There's a ton of information. There's a lot of really great resources. So for sure. Um, and you guys, and so you guys to dive in, you do coaching and then you have, can you talk a little bit about the coaching you do? And then at the seminar, like you have seminars and stuff like that. We do. Um, well, we'll start with the seminar because that'll be a shorter conversation. The, our next conference is the Fire Summit, um, and we do that once a year. It's the first weekend of December in the Dallas area. Um, and we, we go through the, the steps to getting your first deal, basically, and how to scale. We have other topics, other speakers. We're constantly changing it up every year, so it's not uh, the same. Um, we have panels of successful students and how they started obstacles that they have to overcome. Um, this conference, we actually have the Benham brothers. I don't know if you know who they are, but and we're super excited to have them on stage um, at this conference. But they were basically scheduled to get an HDTV show. They're identical twins. Mark's an identical twin. I'm a fraternal twin, so it was really cool. Um, but they were canceled, cancel culture. So we'll talk a little bit about how they overcame that. And then about our coaching. Program. We do a deal, a deal analysis workshop as well. Once a year, two and a half days, bring your computer, work through deals together. I tell people, if you like numbers, you're going to probably love it. If you don't, you're going to probably hate it. It's just really <laughs> it. I love it. And yes. so even if you hate it, come just so you can learn what the next step to deal analysis. Or just network, either your choice. Right, right. But, uh, and the coaching, you know, we do all the one-on-one -on -one coaching I do. So we don't have any sub-coaches. Most people all have sub-coaches. We have, you know, two aspects of it. One education piece, we're all about trying to get people into deals. So we had 74% of the people got into deals in six months or less, which is pretty much unheard of in the industry, but it's not just because of us, it's the whole culture of the group. It's, it's called the family syndication group on purpose. People act like family, treat each other like family. Um, and then basically bring other people into helping them on deals. So they can get the, the real world experiences is kind of the big thing. So it's a cultural thing for us we go on vacation together once a year as well so it's really uh education business and then a family type uh environment is really what the coaching piece is i love that you guys have a lot of really amazing things happening and it sounds like you're helping a lot of people get financial freedom that's awesome so our, our final question we ask everybody is what is your definition of generational wealth so my generation or my my definition would be uh, would go past the finances so we can create the wealth but if we don't teach our children how to manage the wealth and how to make their money grow and work for them then we've done nothing because the second we hand over that money you know it'll it'll be gone if they don't also know how to utilize it and make it work but again it goes past just the financial generational wealth is finances but it's also the legacy that you leave behind what are you instilling in your children is it ethics morals character family values because all of those things need to go together for somebody to really live an intentional life and to think more outside of how to benefit myself and your family technically is just a branch of yourself so our goal is to help people to see that Yes, I need to work on me. I need to work on my family. So that circle gets a little bigger. And then how do I benefit people outside of myself? How do I give to those in need? Maybe it's other um, members in our group. Maybe it's people who um, need a place to live. Mark and I are big on trying to introduce people to the ministries that we give to. It's usually orphanages or the sex trafficking ministry. I'm, the, I'm 
on the board of. Okay. So trying to get people to think um, about giving back ultimately. So if you are faithful in giving in the small things when you have little, you'll be faithful in giving when you have a lot. If you're going to say that you're going to wait until you have a lot to give, you probably won't because you start giving when you have little. Yeah. Well, just one other quick point, I would say the generational wealth, wealth, well, I mean, what Camille said, it was great is learning how to build it to be bigger. And there are a lot of strategies for that, that frankly, even we learn today, right? How banking works and arbitrage and all these things, right? That people that are wealthy learn to do right early on. So if you can instill that in your kids really young, when they grow up, they can actually just not keep the wealth and preserve it and keep you by actually grow it significantly. So the goal is to continue to significantly increase the wealth after every generation, because there's no reason you can't do it. If you learn how to do it when you're three, four, five years old, you should be able to do that. So true. I love that definition. I love that it kind of includes not just making money for yourself. It's, it's really about leaving something behind, not just money, but education and knowledge and skills. I love that. Yeah, guys, thanks for coming on. I mean, cool story, honestly. And um, I think uh, it can resonate with a lot of people. So kudos to you guys for all your success and all you're doing and continue to do. You guys seem like amazing people. So really glad we met and spent the time today. Thanks so much. Okay, awesome. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>